Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number 147 with our guest, Gabrielle Chipyear. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing. Hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Well, hey there. Thank you for joining us and tuning right into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. This episode is so near and dear to my heart for one reason. I can relate. I've been there. You know my story. Our guest today helps creatives build profitable businesses so that you can attract the best clients, charge what you're worth, and fall in love with your work again. I want all three of those things and more to help us work through all of this. It's our guest today, Gabrielle Chipier. Welcome, Gabrielle. How are you? Oh, great. Thanks so much for having me, Josh. My absolute pleasure. Like I said, I... This is, my goodness, we could talk all day about this. I, I come from that exact world. That was, my, that was my biggest issue. And if I were to pick out one of those things, you know, I know they're all intertwined, right? But the charging what you're worth, I fell victim to that most of my adult life. And finally, I, uh, you know, my story, I'm, I'm on the other side of that. But do you find that all of these things that you excel in for your clients, the, uh, the ability to attract the clients, charge what you're worth and fall in love with your work again, are they all part of the same whole they are really. It's almost like parts of a merry-go-round, right? And you can't really have one without the other. I mean, if you're not charging what you're worth, then you can't love the work that you're doing. If you're not loving the work that you're doing, then you're not going to show up in a way that you're going to be attracting the clients who want to work with you. And if you're not attracting the clients who want to work with you, then you can't charge what you're worth and you don't have a business. <laughs> so it's just a never-ending circle, really. With with the clients you work with, what do you generally see is the is at the core, the heart, the root of the issue? Where do you really have to dig in with with the the client to to change all of that? Well, I think the big thing is comparisonitis. I mean, really, we're comparing ourselves to a lot of these cheaper services out there, and so many creatives are trying to 
figure out where their value comes from in juxtaposition to places like Fiverr or Upwork or Freelancer, where people in either other countries or in different situations can charge a lot less for something that might look the same on the outside. But I mean, as professionals, we kind of know that there's probably a bit of a value and quality difference between the two. Mm. And uh, I, I love that compare comparisonitis, or how did you put it? Yeah, comparisonitis. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's such a good thing because, um, like I said, I I, I come from the uh, digital marketing world. I spent a decade running my own agency, building websites and uh, and that whole thing for for clients. And I understand that. It, I mean, take take something like that, which has become somewhat of a commodity because unless you're differentiating yourself, right, and, and standing for something, uh, it's very difficult to try to pitch a potential client and say, well, I can build you a site for 2,000, 3,000, 5,000, 10,000, whatever it is. And they'll look at you and say, well, I can get it done for 500. Why should I go with you? Is that sort of the most the most difficult part of the conversation to personally and emotionally overcome? Absolutely. And really it comes from our self-value. You know, we know that we're worth that much. And then also being able to educate our clients the difference between that website that they're going to get for 500 bucks and the one that we'll give them for 5,000. You talk about, I, I love how you put this, that there's an epidemic of low quality work in the online business space, and this is what we're talking about. Why do you think that is? Why, why is there so much low quality? And, and what are we labeling low quality? Give us an example of what that might look like so we can identify it. Okay. Well, I mean, low quality work to me is, I'm sure, you know, as a digital marketer and, you know, creating websites in the past, you'll go to someone's website and you'll go, ah, I can do that better. Or why did they do that? Or, you know, this is not looking good on mobile, right? And Honestly, there's kind of two parts of it. One is um, low quality providers out there attracting all of these clients who don't know the difference between something that's really high quality and what's mm. something that's low quality. And then the second part of it is contractors and freelancers who do create very good quality work, but they're so stressed for time and they're so overloaded with their clients that they're kind of getting into this mentality of just, you know, just get it to 80%, just ship it, just get it done. And they're not like putting in their all into their projects because they're so frantically trying to make as much money and get the next client and the next product that they're just not happy with the work and they're just putting it out there. Mm. You... Congratulations on a uh, on, on a recent book that you came to market with, right? It's called Secret Weapon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Secret Weapon. You you say that um, I I mean, first of all, I, I love the title so much because you hear it and you instantly get it, which I'm guessing is no accident. Is to make <laughs> your title. It's like okay, I get it. So it's it's all about becoming the secret weapon in your client's corner. Yeah, absolutely. It's basically becoming the go-to, the person that they rely on over and over and over again. And you talk about that everything changes when you can become that, when you embrace that title. Um, How does one begin to inch towards gaining? Because right, we, we sort of have to gain that title in the marketplace or in the industry or to our client. How do we go from not having that to having that title? 
Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the first step is really just owning the fact that if you're worried about this and if you're wanting to achieve it, then you probably already are, that you probably already have the skills and the knowledge and the know-how to be there. And the second part is just um, enacting certain qualities and values throughout your day-to-day, whether it's the projects you work on, how you treat your clients, and the way that you run your business, and just bringing it up to a higher quality overall so that you can embody this uh, title of being a secret weapon. What was the, the base for you even deciding to write this book? One day you thought what? Like, why did this book for you need to get written? <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Well, we're going to have to go way back into the past for this one. <laughs> Please so do. I've, yeah. So um, I've been a graphic and web designer and marketing automation specialist for 16 years. And when I first got out of college, I had no inkling to be an entrepreneur. I just wanted to go work for a company, go work for an agency, you know, collect my paycheck and go home and watch Netflix at the end of the day. <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah. And So when I was 24, after working for several different companies and kind of working up my way through the ladder, I was headhunted by Shell Canada and they wanted me to create all of their online courses. They needed a graphic and web designer. And so I started to work for them. But in order to work for them, I had to have an incorporated company because you couldn't be a contractor without all the legal documentation. So I begrudgingly went down to the registry and opened up my company and said, okay, fine, because I couldn't turn down the offer by any means. And then fast forward a couple years later, I ended up leaving Shell because I had my first child. So here I was, I was just had a brand new baby and my options were either go find another agency job or use this business that I had and work from home. So I chose the latter because I didn't want to leave that little cute little baby <laughs> and started working from home. And in that first six years of working from home, I basically stagnated. I struggled. I did work for pennies on the dollar. Uh, none of my projects were profitable. I was drowning in debt. I was just on the edge of burnout for pretty much six years straight. So you could imagine how stressful that was. And then about Yeah, it was right before January 2016, and I was sitting on the floor, and I'm a little bit of a notebook hoarder, so going through all these notebooks, and I was in one of those really gnarly famine cycles, you know, I had no projects coming in, I had bills to pay, I was like getting frantic, so I'm going through notebooks, I'm like, okay, maybe there's a lead in here that I haven't followed up on, or maybe there's an idea for a project, or maybe there's something, so I'm going through these notebooks, and I'm flipping through the pages. And I come across a goal setting exercise that I had done that year. And on that page are like all these prettily done up little goals that I'd wanted that year. And one was to make $125,000 a year. And one of them was to only work four days a week so that I could spend time with my kid. And then the other one was to, you know, make enough money so that my husband didn't have to work out of town all the time. Hmm. And so there's all these goals. And I realized that I hadn't even come close to hitting any of them. I think I was at like $40,000 that year. I was still working like 16 hour days while dealing with my kid. My husband was still working out of town all the time. And then I started going back through all of the goals that I had set for the last six years. And thankfully my notebook ordering actually came in handy here. 
And as I went through each of these goals that I had set, I realized that I had pretty much set those exact same goals every single year for six years. And I had never, ever hit them. And it just kind of smacked me right in the chest. And I just couldn't believe that I had sat there and not even realized that I had just stagnated and spun my wheels for that long of a time period. And so that was kind of like the aha moment. I realized that I had to either change or I had to go get an agency job. And I didn't want to do the latter. So I decided to actually take action and make change my business. So I started applying some of the business techniques that I was learning and started to actually take action on all of these concepts that I had spinning around my brain from other courses and other coaching and other masterminds and stuff. And then I started tweaking and adjusting them because a lot of that advice didn't really work for what I was doing. It was great on paper, but then when I tried to apply it, I was like, oh, well, that doesn't really work. So I would tweak and I would adjust and I would test. And once I got serious about this, I started seeing some huge, huge changes in my business. Like I tripled my revenue in one year. I did actually start only working four days a week so I can hang out with my rugrats. And my husband did accept a job where he wasn't going out of town all the time. So it was a huge difference in just, you know, two and a half to three years when I actually start taking action on that. Such a, such a beautifully brilliant story. I mean, everybody can relate to this. There's, there's so much uh, relatability to that story. Um, I have a few things I want to, I want to pinpoint. Um, Highlight again, uh, just in case anybody didn't glaringly see it, you spent the six years that you realized in retrospect, wow, I've been making these goals uh, year after year after year and nothing happened, nothing changed. Again, who can't relate to that? Um, What was the thing or things that were in place finally that made the, uh, the difference? Well, I'd say the big thing was since I kind of came into entrepreneurship accidentally, I never really took it seriously. So once I started to take my business seriously and started shifting my perspective from being like, oh, I'm just a creative. I'm here to make pretty websites. I'm here to, you know, design pretty things and work on cool projects to I'm a business owner and I have to run a profitable business. Then that's really one of the big things that shifted. No. And like I said before, the uh, the six year, year after year thing where results just weren't happening. Looking back on that, why do you think they weren't happening? What do you really make of all that? Well, I think part of it was me not really realizing how valuable I was to my clients. And I think part of that was because I was constantly comparing myself to, you know, what my world was at that time. So in, when we kind of get into these little rabbit holes, um, I'm sure there's a technical term for it, but when we're following other web designers and we've got other graphic designers and like, that's kind of our community, we kind of think we're not special because you know everybody around us is doing the same thing that we're doing and maybe they're doing things better or they have a different perspective on it and so we kind of lose track of our own unique ability to bring value and then once i kind of got my head out of the sand and started 
um, communicating with other people outside of my little circle, I realized that the skills that I had were super, super valuable. And then this combined with some conversations with some excellent clients when they started telling me just how much of an impact I had had on their business and really not just now I have a, a beautiful website, but now I'm making more money and now, you know, my customers feel supported. And now, you know, that campaign you created for us actually brought awareness to our new product line and all of these actual tangible results that I was getting for people that really shift that internal viewpoint that I had on my own value. So now we're getting into mindset and the simple shifts in mindset, which I know are, are at the foundation really of who you become and what you offer clients. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, mindset is something is so tricky. I mean, we're constantly dealing with it over and over again. Even when we feel like we have, you know, beaten something, a certain mindset pattern, it, it can you know, change slightly and rear its head again. So we're just constantly dealing with it. And I always say that like, I'm not a mindset coach and I don't play one on TV, but what I do have is a lot of experience dealing with my own mindset issues. And I find that when we're service providers, when we're creatives, a lot of those mindset issues come around um, our value and our self-worth and how our value and self-worth is tied to the skills and services we provide. And when we disconnect those two when we say I am no longer or I am not less valuable or more valuable based on a certain skill set I have, then we start kind of seeing how we can grow in ways that maybe wasn't apparent before. Can you give us a an, uh, an example from your past where looking back and you can protect the names as you need, but a real situation where looking back, it's almost uh, wonderfully laughable now because you were just so far from where you are now. And that whole thing was glaringly obvious with, you know, your self-worth and the relationship and, and anything else that might've played a part in that scenario. Absolutely. Yeah. So there was this one contract that I bid on and it was for a large university and they were doing um, some print books and they were like uh, textbooks and internal authors and stuff like that. And they wanted, um, they had quite a strict guideline in terms of what you had to have in place and the knowledge and skills you had to have in order to even apply for this contract. So I said, okay, well, I really want this contract to be very lucrative, lucrative, and I would absolutely love to work with this university. And so I went out and I learned everything that I had to know in order to meet their guidelines. And it took me about, I think it was about two to three weeks of just cramming. And it was learning all of these specific, like the Chicago style guide and like all of these different uh, publishing terms. And, uh, you know, the way that they did their, their book publishing and their book printing. And so I bid on the job and I said, yeah, I have all of these qualifications. I have everything you need. And then some, and then, and I got the job. Oh, so you I said, did? Wow. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. I like the so story. So I was ecstatic. And then as we got into working on the projects, I realized that I actually didn't need any of what they wanted. Because all of the printing layouts that they wanted done were actually not to those standards. And they were like, oh, no, just, just do it this way. We'll just, you know, we'll just put the page numbers this way. And, and they completely flouted their own specifications in their RFP. So I spent three weeks, two to three weeks, 
losing sleep, cramming, feeling that I wasn't good enough in my skill set initially, when in the end, I didn't actually need it in order to provide really valuable services to these people. So what, do you, what did you and do you take away from all that now? Uh, very clearly is that your skills do not define your worth. I love that. Go with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no client is going to be grilling you on how good you are at Photoshop or whether or not you use a specific platform. They're really focused on the results. And if you can give them the results, how you get there, well, you know, I mean, there are some, some small things that you, know, you obviously don't want to be completely not knowing how you're doing it. But as long as you get them the results, how you get them there is really not up to you. Yeah. And isn't that what it's all about in, in this world and most of the world where somebody's listening is in that it's, it's about the result. That's all we all want. And the more you could provide that uh, and show them how you can provide the result and identify the result. Sometimes they're not consciously aware of the result they want. So the better you could during the you know pre-conversations drive that out, figure it out, and then what is it about positioning yourself as the solution to that problem slash result? Yeah, you're positioning yourself as the solution, not the prescription. So. You're not saying, okay, we're going to get you this result by doing X, Y, Z. You're just saying, I'm going to get you the result and we're going to get there whichever way we get there. So whether it's through, you know, this piece of software or that piece of software, whether it's through this marketing campaign or this marketing campaign, right? We're going to get you to that end result. And I'm just going to use all of my skills in a way that's going to get us there where we're both happy with those results. Bring us back to life growing up for Gabrielle as a young child. I want to connect some of those dots and see how we got here. What was life like for you? Um, actually, it's funny. Um, I grew up, my mom was a single mom. I have a, a sister and she was an entrepreneur. So she was constantly running several businesses she had in a wide variety of fields. She was a seamstress. She was an accountant. She owned a cafe. And then when I was in my teens, she owned a bar. And so my sister and I grew up um, when my mom wasn't a very big figure in our lives because she was constantly running her businesses, trying to provide for us. So we were raised by a litany of nannies, babysitters, family members. And I mean, it wasn't awful. We had a great life. My mom provided for us very well, but she was always absent. So that led to me not wanting to be an entrepreneur. I was like, well, if I can't see my family, then what's the point of owning a business, right? So that led to me not wanting to be an entrepreneur when I grew up. And then what did you want to be there for? Well, I wanted to be there for my kids and be, have a solid family unit. And that was kind of always been my, my main goal. And as a child, I was super creative. I was always making stuff. I was always, you know, painting, drawing, you know, making little gifts for <laughs> my various family members. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that creative part, I knew that I just wanted to like make stuff for people. And that's as much as you knew. And it sounds like that that's an entrepreneur or could have been, but I guess you connected it as, well, I will work for somebody. I will be, I will be on staff there. So you didn't really see how that might've led to a life of entrepreneurship. 
No. And it's funny though, because now that I've owned this business for, you know, 10 years now and have run it, now I realize that all of the skills that I have and all the lessons I learned from my mother are incredibly valuable now, even as much as I fought them for so many years. What were those, what were those lessons you learned from her? Well, I think the biggest one was that she was always present when she wasn't, when she was there, she was present. So, I mean, and this was back in the day, there were no smartphones, there were no right, so. you know computers or internet, right? So a bit of a different world, but she was, it was either she was gone doing her work, running her businesses, or mm. she was there and she was a hundred percent there. So we never felt as though she was distracted while we were together. We were her most important priority. Isn't that just beautiful? That's the goal for all of us today. But like you said, we have things really uh, tugging at us in all sorts of directions that make it um, perhaps a little more difficult, but still no excuse. But that's the goal, right? And how, how are you in your world? I know you have, you have children of your own and that's the goal, right? Are you satisfying that or is it still a challenge? I mean, we all have our challenges and that's definitely one, especially when we work online, we have the constant notifications and stuff, but I do make a habit of making sure that I schedule everything. And like my schedule is my godsend. <laughs> and the first thing that I do is I schedule the things that are most important to me in my calendar. So I schedule my family time, I schedule my self-care time, I schedule my meditation time in the morning, and then everything else has to fall around that. I've heard this from high performers, high achievers, wildly successful uh, business people over and over again. If it's not on the calendar, it will not get done and the importance of that. So I fully, fully get all that as well. So you've released the book just at, at the time of this recording um, a few weeks ago. What's that journey been like so far in the short amount of time? Everything you would have hoped for or <laughs> what are we seeing with the book? Oh, it's been fantastic. I mean, we've had some really great reviews. People have been giving us um, are giving me great feedback on it. And it's just really satisfying to hear that people like hearing about my stories because I feel that that's the part that we struggle with. We struggle with opening up and sharing these uh, stories from our past and being truthful and honest about them. Like, oh, are people going to think I'm just a whiny crybaby or what? But people actually said that that has been the most valuable to them because I was able to relate these business lessons and all of these concepts that I'm talking about to actual situations and actual stories from my own experience. Is that what somebody listening should start doing uh, if they want to attract the ideal client, they want to charge what they're worth, they want to love this business, um, should sharing parts of themselves be uh, a good step in the right direction? What do they do first? Absolutely. Yeah, you have to bring yourself to your table, right? Because it's not just about what you do and your skills. Because honestly, when we're, if we're going to be completely honest about it, um, your skills are probably very similar to anybody else in your field. <laughs> right. But people buy from people. So you need to bring what's different about you. So you need to bring um, either your unique processes or your unique viewpoints, your experiences, your why you do what you do and why you do it differently. And also bring your own personality because half of my clients come back to me again and again and again because of me. Of you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I noticed that you, the way we, uh, 
what you can do um, literally is in your case, I know that um, you have pictures of you specifically on your website. You have a YouTube channel with videos of you educating and speaking directly to your ideal client. You do that also on Facebook. So if we watch you, is, is that the, the working example of what somebody should be doing? Absolutely. Yeah. You have to bring yourself to the table and all of your quirky, odd glory. I mean, I bring my love of Star Wars. I love fantasy. I love art. I love painting. So I'm going to bring all of those unique aspects of myself into it so that I'm not just some cookie cutter, you know, web developer off the shelf. You know, I want to be unique. And that really makes you stand out from the crowd. It's so true because like you said, whether you're doing web development or hosting a podcast or anything in between, somebody else is doing it and you don't want to, you don't want to have to level the playing field and have somebody say, okay, well, I'm interviewing five of yous today. So, uh, sell yourself. Why you? I don't know. And then it just becomes a race to the lowest price. Exactly. Yeah. And when you're competing on price, then that's when you start, you know, losing money. That's when you start not being able to have a sustainable business. And that's when you start, frankly, hating your business. How difficult does it become? And I know I've been there. Um, you think, well, um, if I don't compete on price, I'd somebody will say, oh, well, I'd rather get something and versus nothing. What do you say? Well, if you're in the spot where you absolutely need money, like right meow, then what you need to do is you need to nurture your existing relationships rather than going out and fighting on price with something else. Oh, such because, a great, great piece. Go ahead. That's wonderful. Yeah. Because we, we fall into this, I call it the more client trap. We want more and we want more and we want more. And somehow we get this feeling that if I have more clients and somehow I'm better and this will fix this feast and famine cycle, but it doesn't, it actually just makes it worse because when, once you get the next client, then you're serving that client and then you go through that famine cycle again, because you're not nurturing those relationships to line up the next project afterwards. So when you nurture your existing clients, when you're really like watering a garden rather than, you know, going on the hunt then you're going to be able to constantly get back from that garden. You're going to be able to, you know, connect with a bunch of clients and they're going to continually bring you new projects because you're on the top of their minds. And let's even talk to the person who, for, for whatever reason, doesn't have that ability or also wants to look for additional new client base. I, I get it. I understand that they say uh, it's easier to sell an existing client on a product or service than look for a new one. But speaking to the point of um, looking at a new opportunity, there is something to be said in in identifying the the price, the fee, the investment for your product or service and 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 really uh, upping your worth to match that real value offer price you're 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 giving it and then having the having the confidence to stand by it whether they walk away or not that's that's the trick too right to come to the conversation and say I charge X. It might be higher than what you thought or what others or what you're used to, but I charge X. It might be, it might not be right for you, but that's the deal. And here's why I charge that. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, the biggest part of that is also just identifying the people who are most likely to buy from you once you have all of those specifications put in place, right? Because we, when we're in that more client trap, we're just going to take anybody, anybody and everybody. But when at we're any price. Yeah. at any price, right? So when we're more solid in, okay, this is what I do, this is the value I bring, and this is what I charge, and these are the people that are most likely to get the best results and that I work best with, then you can kind of narrow your focus again because now you're not trying to reach everybody. You can then identify those people. You can reach out. You can do some, you know, as much as not everybody likes cold sales calls <laughs> or cold outreach, but you can start creating relationships with the people who fit that ideal client avatar and who are going to either get the best results from working with you and have the money to pay you what you're worth. There is a, there's a threshold here. Again, I lived that less than ideal world for decades, um, not charging far below and struggling emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically all day, every day, angry, uh, frustrated, confused, depressed, all of that. It starts with a, a realization, a choice, a decision to figure out your why for yourself to get over that and to say, not only am I admitting this is not working for me, this is not the world I want to be in, but I am ready, willing, and able to confront any demon, any fear, and overcome whatever is holding me back here. Did you find yourself in that scenario as well? Oh, absolutely. Well, once I realized that I just couldn't go forward the way I was going forward any longer, I had to get far more uncomfortable than I ever wanted to get. Oh my gosh. Say that again. That last part. (laughs) I had to get so uncomfortable and we all fall into our little zones of comfort, our little zones of genius, and we don't like going out of it. And essentially, if I wanted change, I had to stop doing what I had been doing up until that time. Because if I yeah. want to change, I needed to change me. I, ha- I need to change something. And as they so, say, what got you here won't get you there. I exactly. love it all. Go ahead. Yeah. And so, and really, it was just a matter of being more committed to the change than I was to my comfort zone. It's amazing how you realize that comfort is, is the, the factor. Like you said, um, I was committed to the change versus the comfort. So they are on two sides of the spectrum there. Change is going to be uncomfortable. That statement in and of itself, you have to wrap around your head and be willing to embrace every part of that. Change and comfort cannot, uh, cannot reside in the same, the, the same sentence. No, they really can't. And there was probably about six to eight months where I was incredibly uncomfortable every single day. I mean, I was doing all of these business activities that I, up until then, I would constantly tell myself, oh, I'm not a business person, so I don't know how to deal with this. But then I had to start saying, no, I am a business owner. I am a business person. I have to learn how to deal with this and I have to do it. Otherwise, I'm going to stay exactly where I am. So it sounds like part of that was a um, getting 
getting familiar with the with the label you've worn with your identity how you've identified with yourself i went through that um all all myself too oh i I can't do that i'm not that person or that's not me or that can never work for me is that was that the same world absolutely yeah i labeled myself a creative up until then you know i just make pretty things I, i i work on fantastic projects you know i'm your i'm your creative person and that was the identity that I built for myself. And then I realized that that identity was lacking. And then I had to be a little bit, it was more of a one-sided identity. Oh. It wasn't very full-fleshed. So the, way you, I, so the way you saw that was that while you are a creative, fine, but that meant that you wouldn't allow yourself to also say, oh, and a business person running a profitable, lucrative, beneficial, service-oriented business. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And it was even, you know, I used to say, oh, I'm, I'm so right brained, you know, I don't have a head for numbers. Or I don't really understand the strategy. And I would say these things over and over to myself wow. until I believed them. And then finally, I just had to stop saying no, like, I am good with numbers. I can balance a spreadsheet. I can run a successful business. Why do you think you were telling yourself that? Yeah, to keep yourself comfortable. But what were you really fearing or keeping yourself distance from? Well, really having to do something that was hard. You know, that was something that I had had no experience in up until that point and didn't, you know, came with that mindset of like, I don't want to do this. I'm just going to kind of do it because I have to. And then when I kind of switched that around, I realized that it was all just an excuse. Yes. Nothing really physically holding me to staying where I was. Mm. So much good and value here. Um, I want to wrap up the conversation we've been having with a few things. First, what is the next thing that the person listening must do? What do they need to do to to self-evaluate, to go forward, to take action, to, to see the results that you're finding with clients? Absolutely. The first step is to be brutally honest with yourself. You have to go and you have to look at your books. You have to realize how much you're making right now. And you have to accept the fact that that's not going to be your reality anymore and that you're willing to get uncomfortable to see the changes you want. And then once they do that, they, they have to put a plan in place. Yeah. Absolutely. You have to find out where you are and then you have to plan out where you want to go. So if you want to make, you know, $10,000 a month, you have to identify, you know, how are you going to have to price your projects in order to get there? How many new clients are you going, how many new projects, how many existing clients are you going to reach out to? Mm. And then you just have to start work in that plan. And then if there is some resistance, you have to, like you said, go back to step one, evaluate, become brutally honest with yourself to figure out why am I, why am I, why am I resisting this? Why am I getting worked up? It's the comfort, right? And what are my beliefs? What's the story? What have I labeled myself as? How am I self-identifying here that you could easily rip that label off and say like, like you said, it, that, that's not me. You were just trying to stay comfortable in that role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's something that I say to myself all the time and my kids too, they actually hate it when I say this. I say, is it the end of the world? 
Tell me more. I I force them to say, no, it's not the end of the world. (laughs) Because if it's not the end of the world, then there's no reason to react as if it is. And if it's not the end of the world, then you know what you need to do next. Even if it's just that first one next step, then you can figure out what to do. But we get so caught up in this, oh my God, everything's going wrong. I'm going to fail. It's the end of the world that we stop looking at our next best step. And we do that to keep ourselves comfortable. Yeah. Wow. I will leave you with this final question. Gabrielle Chipyear, how would you like to be remembered? Above all else, I'd love to be remembered as a good mother. I get it. I'm right there with you on the father's side. Absolutely perfect. Above all else. How do people find you follow up this conversation and uh, get into a working relationship with you. Absolutely. Yeah. You can visit me on Facebook and Instagram, Gabrielle Chipier and at gabriellechipier.com. And if you go to gabriellechipier.com slash SW audiobook, you can get a free version of the audiobook of the secret weapon book. And it's a pretty, pretty lengthy book as you mentioned, right? It's a pretty lengthy book, yes? Um, it, was, uh, it was four sections. I think the total published length was about 75,000 words. That's significant for those uh, who don't understand uh, the equivalent of, of word count to a book. Am I right? Yeah, it was quite a project. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, really, really insightful. Thank you, Gabrielle, for, for coming on, for showing up and for opening up in this, in this way. Like I said, at the, at the top of the show, this is right up my alley, something that I get. I was there. I'm a fan of, it's all about changing your mindset to improve your self-worth mentally, and then taking the specific and deliberate action steps to do the work you know you should be doing and are capable of doing. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing yourself with us. Oh, thank you so much, Josh. I just had a blast here today. Thanks. Awesome. And thank you everybody for tuning in. If you enjoyed it and you want to share some of your insight, I love reading your reviews wherever you're listening to this in the podcast platform of choice. We're going to do this again before too long. Until we do, thanks for tuning in. Go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.